market. The S&P, the ISX stocks. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that is drinking company earnings reports through a veritable fire hose. I think was that veritable? Word, oh, word of the week. That's awesome. The veritable comes from me, Scott Phillips, and the person who's being very kind and obliging me is Dr. Anirban Mahanti. How are you, Doc? Good, Captain. How are you? Good, mate. This is the week where earnings season kind of finally struck and struck with a vengeance. The last couple of weeks were kind of a bit going on. This week has been absolutely manic, hasn't it? With just so many companies reporting earnings. I was going to say bit is under, um, understating the problem, but, yeah. <laughs> but, but, but I later on understood that you're talking about that week prior, which was Sorry, which yes, was okay, yes. yes, and yeah, this this week, right. and it continues to be made very um, hectic, unbelievable, all happening. So that's what we're going to spend most of this particular podcast talking about. But first, it would, <laughs> I was going to say it wouldn't be a Friday, it wouldn't be a podcast, it wouldn't be a day on the markets if it wasn't for the the unholy combination of Twitter some presidential politics, some global trade worries, and some stock market fluctuations. Was it Wednesday night, our time, I think, when the Dow Jones fell 3%, NASDAQ and S&P fell about the same, the Australian market fell out of bed. It was kind of a bumpy old week this week. There's lots of stuff going on. Tariffs are on, tariffs are off, rates are up, rates are down. I'm going to ask you in a minute about the inverse yield curve. Okay. (laughs) Okay, it gets better, listeners. Promise, don't don't leave us just yet, mate. Just very quickly because we don't spend too much time on it. What did you make of the volatility this week? Any anything particularly interesting or insightful you've got to? I have to a share solution to the problem. Oh, good. I, I have really a solution to the problem. Everyone, listen up. Yeah, the solution is to shut off <laughs> all social media, <laughs> Twitter, Facebook, oh, WhatsApp, <laughs> and all other rubbish that we have going on. Oh, mate, I still don't use WhatsApp. And, I'm, and I'm let's ancient. just. You know, and turn off TV. Except that the market's still all over the place. So even if we well, do all that, well, you know, the whole problem starts with someone tweeting, somebody <laughs> counter tweeting, then oh, some mate. newspaper writing something and tweeting that out. You know, just get rid of the tweeting and you know uh, the social media stuff, and we will be fine. Are we That's blam- my solution. Are we, are we blaming the messenger here? Is it, is it the social media or is the, or is it the social media user the the, the tweeter? Well, I, I, I think the the the, the <laughs> I think the media in or the medium in this case okay. is. Uh, Exasperating all the problems, you know, we, <laughs> yeah, we, right. uh, we have this, you know, instant consumption of uh, messages that, you know, you did, I can't think of a, you know, if you go back 20 years, you, there was hardly a way to, to broadcast to few hundred million people <laughs> so some news, oh, some man. idea, some thought instantly. And then all these people, without even thinking about it for a second... Acting on it. The internet is the cause of all our troubles. No, the internet is great. <laughs> I, I, as, a, as a scientist, a former scientist, also no internet, the mate, inter- internet is awesome. <laughs> it's all this evil on top of the internet. I shouldn't complain, really. Without the internet, we wouldn't be here, would we? Exactly. So the internet is awesome. The internet is awesome. I, I changed the my mind. The internet is awesome. It's just this evil <laughs> of instant information dissemination that's created by oh. these evil tools. Let's just get rid of them. I, I propose banning all these things, and then we have... <laughs> Fixed the volatility and all the you know other stuff. Good plan. Let's yeah. get rid of iPhones. Everything else will be good after that. Uh, no, mate. Uh, <laughs> let, let's not let's not dwell on more of that. I do want to ask you though. So, I, I actually agree with you completely. Most of what we saw this week and most weeks is short-term reaction to short-term issues that, frankly, no one will remember in twelve months, let alone a couple of years. That being said, mm. six times there's been a recession. Each time preceded by the good old inverse yield curve. Mm. Now, I saw on Twitter a nice explanation, which basically said, every time there's been a recession, there's been an inverse yield curve, mm. but 
not every time there's been an inverse yield curve has a recession necessarily followed. In other words, you don't have a recession without this happening, but just because it happens doesn't mean there's going to be a recession, Right. if I made that a little bit clear. Hmm. Do you want to try and explain the inverse yield curve, or do you want me to have a go? Oh, I can have a go. You can correct me if I'm wrong. (laughs) Um, um, It's, again, one of those ills of uh, social media that I can... You know, I'm on a tangent day today, so uh, I'm keeping the theme alive. So I think the uh, the yield curve, as people refer to, is uh, the 10-year U.S. Treasury uh, yield. Yes. Right? That's one of them. Yes. And then you look at the shorter term, I think the two-year yield. Yes. Right? Which is basically the shorter term yield on U.S. Treasuries. Yep. And when the longer term yield mm-hmm. is effectively lower mm-hmm. than the the shorter term yes. yield, yes. then you have an inverse. Perfect. So right? the yield curve, imagine, a, imagine the, a curve on a graph. Yeah. On one axis, you've got time. And the other actually has got the interest rate. And in theory, what should happen, economic theory says that generally speaking, the longer you have your money tied up, the more you want to get paid for it. So if you imagine a curve going from zero to 10 years, that curve should be rising from the left-hand side to the right-hand side, going up as you go out. So the more time you have passed, the more money you should be getting back. As you said, Doc, you should be getting less for your two-year term than your 10-year term, right? It makes kind of sense. Otherwise, why lock your money up for longer if you're going to get... Um, more money in the short term. Mm-hmm. So that's economic orthodoxy. Sometimes, though, the market kind of freaks out and says, well, I'm a little bit, you know, I feel a little bit different about that. I, I want to get a better return um, in in a different time frame. Yeah. That, that very reality is what's happening. It really says the market is basically scared, right? That the bond yeah. market is, is worried that there is, there is trouble coming. Yeah. That's what this inverse yield curve is supposed to show. Yeah. So, How worried are you? So I'll just to, just to you know just add a final point. Yeah, so please. basically, the the ten year yield curve you'd expect, or you know, you know, in in general theory, to yep. give you a higher interest rate, right? Or co- whatever that's the coupon, basically the amount of money that you get paid yeah. every month or every year or whatever it is, it, it should be more because there's more uncertainty over a longer period of right. time, you're right? Up for longer, exactly. Yeah, yep. yeah. So you're taking the risk of the high, the longer uncertainty versus versus yep. now. But but I think the the problem right now is a couple of things. One. Um, I have I take an issue with um, uh, again Twitter and a lot of people on Twitter who put this <laughs> as post this as like some sort of gospel or science. I don't think I have recently, so that's okay. Yeah, so I'm, I'm excusing you. Okay, here. thank you. Um, but there are some people. <laughs> uh, I, I won't take names. Okay. Um, you know, but if if something has happened six times, yep. As a scientist, I'd say, how can you even conclude something that has happened six times? <laughs> that's what? Right. Like you know, I yep. mean, even law of averages, you want at least thirty samples mm-hmm. <laughs> to make the average actually stick. That doesn't that doesn't help Twitter, Doc. It doesn't, it doesn't yeah, help so, headlines. You the, can't you can't write a headline that says, "Oh, something happened, but it doesn't mean anything." It's going so, to be a so what, right? Yeah. So that's that's my number one point. That's <laughs> so so number number one is like yep. it's five or six does not make yep. a sample, uh, even if it happens seven times and it happens now, I would still say it doesn't make you know it doesn't make yep. it law, yep. right? Uh, uh, there's some correlation we don't, don't know. Don't bring your science and factor and rationality to sort of yeah, discussion. And, and economics, is, hard, uh, economics is hardly a science, right? <laughs> oh, they're, they're misfighting words. <laughs> so, there's economists all around the country yeah, throwing things so, at them. So, yeah, I'm just trying to be but, controversial here. Um, <laughs> like so that, that's number one. Number two is I think this scenario with where, again, because mm-hmm. with Twitter and all these other media things that we've got, you know, we've all we've got basically central banks all over the world telegraphing that rates are basically going to be low. Yep. 
right? And and there are negative rates all around the world anyways. <laughs> so therefore, if you've got negative rates around the world, it's kind of natural to assume that over time, the US rates are also going to go towards that, right, right? right? Why would the US rates be high when everybody else is basically, you know, going towards zero? Yep. So it's like, it's this race to the bottom Especially thing. Especially in an interconnected world where yeah, yeah, exactly. the, world, the world is going to impact on the US, the US is going to impact on the world. Yeah. Hard to imagine that can exist. Yeah, so I mean, isolation. you know, that's that. So that I mean, there's that reality. There's the reality of um, uh, of you know central bankers communicating that yes, you know, we think you know the likelihood of rates being lower is higher than the likelihood of rates being higher. <laughs> uh, so that doesn't help the longer term mm-hmm. rates because in the shorter term rates you can kind of predict what's going to happen because of right, you know right, various right. local economic data that you're getting. Um, so that's that. Then the the final thing I'll say is that this yield curve thing uh, might have been relevant. Maybe who mm-hmm. knows? Um, when actually the rates were higher. <laughs> yeah, that's right. How well, does it's a this, new world, right? Yeah. How does this work? Right, right. <laughs> when we have a world which is close to zero or mm-hmm. negative. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you know, maybe yield inversion is supposed to happen because that, right. because the and this is something that you know um, the RBA deputy governor was talking is actually on the AFR mm. that you know saying like you know probably yield inversion has lost its value. The old um, rules kind of don't apply really. They sort of unusually yeah. one almost unprecedented, right. like decade, decade, decades low exactly. rates. And then then of course there will be people who'd say, well, you know, that um, this time is different story, mm. right? Mm. You know, all I'm saying is this time is different. So all I'm saying is I don't really know. Um, <laughs> And that is the most honest answer you'll get. We don't mind saying that at the Motley Fool, despite other people who are paid to pretend they do. We're paid to tell you the truth. And sometimes, maybe even more often than not, the answer is, I don't know. And that's okay. Value stocks. Markets. Stock market. Index. Share market. This is Motley Fool Money. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Mate, earnings season. Bring it on. Bring it on. Maybe I would say that if I could climb out from under the pile of virtual paper that is just absolutely weighing me down. Not that I'm complaining, but man, it has been an absolute, as you said, or as you, I, I said, but you wrote an absolute fire hose of earnings this week. Um, let's go through some of the key ones, mate. So let's start with the, your favorite company, Telstra. Woohoo! Um, Yay! <laughs> this is a kind of, oh, look, there's, there's a general oh, let me, um, tangent, uh, just brackets around this one. There's too many tangents today. (laughs) (laughs) That's what the podcast is, mate. Let's be honest. It's the The, tangent podcast. The the, the, the agenda is just talking points that we occasionally come on to. So just to set the scene, actually, it's really important because earnings season, for those who haven't been through it yet or maybe even a lot yet, um, who are relatively new to the game, earnings season is partly about earnings and it's partly about expectations. In fact, it's mostly about expectations. And if you think about the, the way share prices respond to earnings, it's very rarely the case that just because earnings are up, the share price goes up. Or anything down, the share price goes down. There's two bits of expectations management here. The first is, what did the market think was going to happen for earnings? So in a world where earnings was down 30%, but the market expected down 50, the share price probably goes up, <laughs> despite the fact that earnings are terrible. And people say, what's going on there? How's it possible? Or conversely, earnings are up 30%, share price goes down because the market wanted a growth of 50%. You're going to go, man, what else do you need to do? It was all expectations. The other part of expectations is the good old outlook statement. And some companies this week, Aurora is one, the packaging company, who have delivered really good results, exactly what the market expected. Share price fell 15% because they said, yeah, next year's going to be tough. <laughs> so it's really, you know, for, it, as much as our job as analysts is to look at the earnings and assess the company's quality and momentum and the the opportunity for growth and, and that kind of stuff, which we absolutely do, the comparison with the share price is very much more about what did the market expect? what actually happened, and what is the company expecting for the future. So, end of parentheses, move back to Telstra. 
The results were pretty ordinary. Dividend was cut, profit was down. The company said the NBN has cost them $1.7 billion in lost margin. Big B. The share price actually fell by less than the market did yesterday when the results were announced. In fact, Telstra was an outperformer on a bad day for the ASX because the market kind of already expected it. What did wasn't you make it, of Telstra Wasn't the dividend results? cut? It was by 20-something percent. Mm. Dividend was cut. Earnings were down. Oh, you know, this, this, this is a from a business performance perspective, not mm. great. Share price performance, the market kind of went, oh, yeah, we kind of thought that would happen. And so the shares didn't fall. Fell a little bit, but hardly fell at all. And in fact, as I said, actually beat the market on a down day. Mm. So, I mean, you know, the bad news of Telstra um, has been, as you said, telegraphed mm-hmm. over the past several years. <laughs> um, NBN continues to be a headwind for them. Yep. Um, mobile is not growing as fast, I guess, as they had hoped. Maybe 5G is going to change things. Um, I mean, the thing, the story with Telstra basically is like, you know, if you are an yield investor and you mm-hmm. want, you know, a steady yield, um, I can't even say that the yield is no. Really that's st- right. Not st- the yield is no longer steady. I mean, except the market already expected there was yeah. a cut already last half, so the market yeah. expected it would happen. Well, it, it, did. It, it was pretty high, anyways. Yeah. The yield, yeah. so the yield had to come. I mean, as we said, if the yield gets to like ten percent or something, you know, that's mm. going to go down. <laughs> so, um, so that's that. Like, look, the results were not bad, mm. considering what the circumstances are. <laughs> but, but but at the same time, I mean, the circumstances are not really bright going forward as well. So, I mean, it's it's basically ho-hum going forward um, as well from where, you know, yeah, there's, like there's, there's, there's not much that Telstra can do, right? I mean, I look at Telstra, Telstra is basically a utility. It's a utility, uh, it's the leading utility when it comes to telecom yep. in this country. There's only so much growth that you can get in that sector. Mm. Um, you know, it's a population growth, which is basically immigration plus new births and, you know, people who are getting these things and so on and so right, forth. Right. Um, it's also one of those stories where, it's, uh, to me, Telstra is a little bit like Qantas. When there are headwinds and, and kind of tough economics of the sort you've got, when Andy Penn at Telstra or an Alan Joyce at Qantas can just kind of keep the business kind of just going as well as can be expected, that's a, that's a victory of sorts. Now, it doesn't mean, by the way, you should invest in it. I don't think, you know, just because a, a CEO is doing a decent job in a tough industry, often you still should avoid that industry. It doesn't, doesn't make it a great investment or even yeah. make it a great company. But at, at some sort of, you know, they've, they've, t- they've changed 1,800 mobile plans to twenty. Which is no mean feat, right? Like it sounds pretty simple, but a whole lot of legacy issues they've dealt with. They're oh, moving yeah. towards, at least according to the company, they're doing a pretty good job of implementing the plan they've set in place for their Telstra 2022 strategy, which is, I hate it when the companies call those things, Telstra 2022. We have the Motley Fool 2020 strategy, mate. We'll, we'll work on that off, off Yeah, line. we should do that. that later. Uh, we'll, we'll, <laughs> it's got to be good for the share price. Um, we, you know, at some level, at least they're doing what they said they were going to do. They're working as hard as they can. You can't beat the NBN when it comes to margin erosion, right? Telstra was a monopoly provider of a fixed line asset, made a squillion dollars. Like the percent, the margins were, they made like 60% margin on, yeah. on fixed line, which is phenomenal. NBN comes along, basically captures most of that margin. Yeah. Telstra has no choice other than to become a reseller of that product at a lower margin. You, yeah. There's just simply nothing else you can do. You can't, if you make 60% of 100 bucks, and now you've got to make 30% of the same 100 bucks. You just there's only so much you can do. So yeah. we we all knew that we we're going to be losing value, losing losing revenue. Yeah, the NBN thing is that here's the funny thing with NBN, right? I mean nobody's making money off the NBN mm. except for maybe NBN. <laughs> so, well, even then, I'm not sure. So even then, we're not really sure. Well, so, this, is, so, I mean, this is like a no-win type of situation. <laughs> there's, a, there's a political element to that. Not, not, not uh, I'm not talking politics. politics at all. No, no. But, what, what I mean, though, is that it, it, in, under a different government, we may well have seen the value of the NBN written down, which yeah. actually might have lowered broadband prices. So at some level, 
and again, without being political, I'm not saying either party is good or bad or indifferent, but a, a change in government, a new party would have had the opportunity, the kind of the mm. free air to potentially write down the NBN, which is what some people, many people have been calling for because the requirement for the NBN to pay back its investment um, it means that the broadband prices have to be high, which is pushing people away yep. in a different environment. If the wholesale price of the NBN came down because they simply wrote, reduced the value, then Telstra and others, by the way, could sell the NBN for a much cheaper price, better for consumers, yep. in theory, better for Telstra as well. But not going to happen, at least not in this term of government, I don't think. No, no, no. Yeah. Mate, speaking of, I, don't, I have no tangent, actually. Speaking, oh, no, speaking, speaking well, of blood products and vampires in government or something. Is that close? What about flu? Speaking of... <laughs> Are you, are you suggesting our politicians are contagious? Well, they're not coming in, though. There's, there's flu vaccines are important as well. Let's move on. Okay. CSL. <laughs> the Commonwealth Serum Laboratories, mate, a, a government institution spun out into the public markets. Probably, I want to say the first, at least, at least in hindsight, the first big kind of ex-government privatization, right? There's been Telstra and there's been the Commonwealth Bank and there's been a whole lot of other stuff. CSL, I think, may have actually been the very first one. Um, now I, Perhaps the most successful one as well. well. Right. Now a public company absolutely streeting the field, second, third biggest company on the ASX, um, you know, Commonwealth Bank, ironically, larger, but maybe not for too long, delivered growth again of 7 to 10%. This is a multi, multi, multi-billion dollar global company, second biggest in blood products in the world, I want to say, maybe even the biggest. It's probably um, the biggest. No. This is just mm. a phenomenal, phenomenal business. Mate, what do you make of, of CSL? Firstly, the results, and secondly- 41 times earnings last time I looked. Is this justified or is the market getting a bit carried away? No, CSL is a fantastic company. It's like, you know, it's one of our truly global, truly outstanding, truly world-class. Gets way less credit than deserves because it's not a household name in the same way that a product it, consumer products company is. Exactly, exactly. But I mean, you know, they're, they're uh, you know, blood products are used not just, you know, they're used mm. world over by companies, different companies, different farmers and so on and so forth. So, uh, and they've executed brilliantly. They have, you know, done some very strategic acquisitions in the past. Mm. All of those things have added to their growth. They have a lot of international growth, basically, in um, baked in. Um, one of the things I'll, I'll give uh, CSL credit is they've been uh, very good in delivering consistently growth. They've right. delivered growth, you know, consistently and for many, many years, mm-hmm. over decades now. They've strategically bought back some shares, although you could argue that when your shares are at 40 times uh, <laughs> uh, trading earnings, uh, are are you actually, you know, it's not 15 times, it's not 20 times <laughs> that you're buying back shares, you're buying back shares at 40, and maybe it comes and bites back at some... So this is what worries me a little bit, mate. It's, it's I mean, growing yeah. at 7 to 10% when you're already... I have 40 billion is in my head in terms of revenue. That feels too yeah. high. But in any case, massive, massive business, growing it at very good rates not great but i mean not yeah. great relative to some of the some of the super high growth companies but when you're that big already if you can grow a business that big by that sort of rate you're doing pretty well yeah but if you're growing 10% can you really justify a p of 40 yeah um, so yeah it, it is hard to justify i mean i guess the there's some i would assign some premium to csl a for quality mm-hmm. uh b for being like basically the leader b for and and c for being something that is um, somewhat recession-proof, right? I mean, it's recession-proof. <laughs> yeah, right. uh, their products are needed on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a yearly uplift to the demand for their products and so on. So, I mean, you know, leadership, okay. quality, uh, management, balance sheet, uh, geo-diversification, all those things. You know, basically, it's a very high-quality company, so it deserves some premium. I cap it 40 times? Yeah, 40 times is pushing it. Like, I mean, you know, <laughs> um, 40 times, you wouldn't pay 40 times even for Google, so. <laughs> right, that, so, oh, that's, that's kind of, I mean, and, and Google's not necessarily a better business than CSL on, on some measures, 
changes, but it's growing faster. Yeah. I, well, I can't, I mean, I can't, if you had, I'm trying to think of it. I would, I would say Google right. is a better business in the sense that, you know, it's got longer runway. I mean, it's more entrenched, I guess it's similarly entrenched, but it's got more runway, whatever. Like, I mean, that's the thing, right? I yeah, mean, yeah. there is a price and there is a price, right? 15, 17% earnings. You're paying 20 times for Google and you're paying 40 times for CSL. Yeah. Here, here's here's the, the thing I think most of our listeners just need to be remember is that to some degree, the PE is an expression of sentiment over the short, even medium terms. Over the long term, in theory, it's a measure of, of performance and any valuation metric that says you take you know the old discounted cash flow, you take the, the rate of return you want, you take the earnings growth, you discount it over a number of years in the future and you, you arrive at a price. That's why the average market PE is about 14, 15 times normally. And the average market growth is about, when you work it back, about 5% a year. Just, just broadly, right? So you grow up 5%, you're getting 15, 16 times earnings. These are rubbery numbers, but work with that. When you grow at 7 to 10% and you're getting a 40 PE, yeah. it's very, very hard to break that back. Unless you expect CSL can somehow break out of the mold and deliver 25% at some point, Yeah, you, a decent amount of that 40 times earnings made is kind of pure sentiment, right? It's very, yeah. very hard to in any rational way, justify that valuation. Yeah, so like 20 times earnings for that type of growth might have been like, you know, more appropriate, you right, would think, right? right? But it's not. So, so yeah, that's, uh, yeah, remember that always. Um, so we're not saying don't buy the shares, we're not even saying sell the shares, we're just saying, just be a little bit careful here because if, if CSL was also unvalued at 20, I think, don't think anyone would say that was unreasonable. Well, it's hard to say unreasonable given given right. the prospects, right? right. I right. mean, again, and maybe twenty five if you want to add a grow, you know premium quality premium to it. But mm. you know, you, mm. there's a difference between twenty five and forty. Yes, I agree with you. Very it, big it, it, yeah. And yeah. remember, if the PE falls to twenty, that halves the share price. Yeah, it's no small difference. Real money advice from real people, not just a couple of dicks with a Porsche. Get more at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Mate, from the sublime to the, well, I don't want to say ridiculous, but it wasn't pretty. Poor old Blackmores, the vitamin company, the dominant vitamin company of Australia and New Zealand. Unfortunately, nowhere near as dominant in China. The full year results were ordinary. Hmm. That masked a terrible fourth quarter. Revenue was down more than 10%. Profit fell between 30 and 40% hmm. for the fourth quarter compared to last year. And the company in its outlook statement said, and by the way, the first half of next year, going to be less than the same period in in financial year 19. Oof. It, it's it's a business that seems to be struggling to stop tripping over its own feet despite what in theory should be a pretty attractive market opportunity in Asia or sorry in Australia is not for cash and in Asia and China in particular for growth. It it's it's almost hard to see why or how a dominant Australian company with a very 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 small market share in China can't find its way clear to grow at decent rates for at least the foreseeable future, surely. I don't know. Maybe my interpretation of this would be that uh, maybe it's harder to have a brand associated with vitamins Mm. and then maybe push that across. I mean, it's something that people don't see, right? I mean, it's not the shoe you're wearing or the clothes you're wearing. It's something that you eat. And I mean, um, is um, Blackmore's any better than Swiss A or something else or mm. Biogen? I think that's maybe the problem. Maybe so maybe it wasn't. I would have thought the, I mean, the whole imported vitamin sector, if Blackmore's didn't take share from its international or kind of ex-China rivals. Maybe it got its fair share. I get what you're saying. Well, that's, I, f- I figure the, the, the share, the, the share or the, not even the share, the total sales of imported vitamins into China I expected would grow materially for a decent number of years into the future. 
Yeah, I mean, my it, it could be a number of things. I, I you know, I'm on, only theorizing here, and I'm being very mm. open. I'll say that I'm just theorizing. It could be, a, it, it could, it could be an execution problem. It could be that the brand just doesn't have that brand value in China. They've mm. not been able to create that brand value. Maybe it doesn't. This sort of thing does not work in, you know, you're competing against bigger giants and maybe they're able to just, you know, thwart competition yeah, right. uh, in a more commodity-like business. I mean, it's ultimately, you know, vitamins yeah, in yeah. a commodity-like business. So maybe all of those things, you know, something is is, is at work uh, there. Um, yeah, I mean, I find it surprising, but maybe my, 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 my theory right now is that maybe just the the vitamins can't be branded and maybe the competition from other bigger players is just too much to mm. uh to get more maybe more than your fair share or you know or get less than your fair share maybe you, you as a smaller player maybe you're getting uh, crushed Th- those are all possible and, and you know i'll change my theory as soon as the results change i'll come up <laughs> with a new it, right? theory <laughs> <laughs> so take it for what it is which is basically i just made that up <laughs> <laughs> I like that. It's, it's interesting, though, to me. So Blackmore's struggling. Capilano Honey, now a, a part of a, a larger New Zealand business, but for a long time was listed by itself, also really struggled to make headway. Despite the massive, massive growth of Monica Honey to China, mm. Capilano could never quite crack it. Compare that with an A2 or a Bellamy's where you've got a situation where those guys are just making money hand over fist into Asia and, again, China in particular. Uh, maybe it's product category. Maybe it's just the inherent ability or otherwise of of those individual companies to either successfully or otherwise deliver growth in China I I can't help but think it might be something of an execution problem so so I think maybe there is something about the product category so I think so for example I wouldn't club uh, A2 and Bellamy's in the same boat like I mean okay. A2 is basically class apart in terms of its execution in China in, st- in terms of its um, depth of distribution in China and the way you know it's basically the only one that has got approved products mm. to sell mm. in China so I think that you know it, it helps that they have a story there that you know ours is a unique product that nobody else is selling whereas you know I, I think that doesn't work for vitamins for example right or for honey I mean maybe it works for but there are multiple people who can sell Maluka honey but nobody else is selling A2 milk you can sell A2 plus A1 but you are only one who has A2 oh sure but I'm just thinking more broadly though there's just there's something about the execute I mean I'm not saying they're all as good as they too, but even on on a spectrum of of fantastic success. I mean, Capilano's tried to sell to China for 15 years. Yeah. I can't, I can't for the life of me work out how you can't take clean green Australian honey to China and find a market in, in a in a in a rapidly, um, you know, rapidly growing, more affluent China. How you can't convince a decent proportion more Chinese to consume Australian honey? Given the given the food poisoning problems in the past, given the questionable local food production, mm. and I'm not casting a, a judgment either way, but the, the general view among some in China is that they'd rather have international, overseas kind of you know regulated, mm. registered, tested food rather than their own stuff. It just uh, you know, I, it like like French wines into into the developing yeah. world, right? You kind of it's a it's a status symbol, it's a sign of class and quality. Uh, I, I just I I, I it's so, just beggars belief that some of these companies can't find a way. In a country that big, growing that fast, with with a pr- proven degree of international demand, they just can't seem to do it. I'm just going to make another theory up on on the spot. Sure. I love making theories I like on the that. spot. Um, like you, you know, I think the difference is the in China the food demand and especially the milk demand was was because of infant death from formula. Yes, right, and that really helped the foreign formula sector. So it, I think that's a different thing from you know demand for say. Um, um, you know, uh, honey and things like that, right? right? People did not die off honey. People did not true, die off true. vitamin. They died off milk. So I think that really helped the milk sector. And then A2 was able to create a distinct, you know, differentiated brand. Mm. 
sure. and a brand positioning. And then, you know, the social media and everything else that they use, you know, so this is good for your digestive system and, and so on and so on and so forth. There's also this, th- this part that, you know, most of Asia, actually Asian cows, like especially mm. like Indian cows, for example, had only A2 milk. Huh. It's only when they were bred with Jersey cows mm. that this A1 got oh, mixed right. into the into the thing and that that of course increased production so this maybe some you know um some basis for that i don't know what you know again uh, whether or not this um, um yeah so anyways lactose intolerance or not whether whether that has got anything to do with a1 we don't know uh i'm not making any scientific claims but anyways i, th- I think it's just the the hmm. the fact that one of them has a more closer link to deaths versus the others don't. <laughs> I think maybe that helps. Again, as I said, I'll change my theory next time. Uh, I have to come up with a different viewpoint. I like it. Mate, Exhibit B, if it pleases the court, Treasury Wines. For all those struggling to do business and get growth into Asia, Treasury just keeps getting it done. I've got to say, Matt, I, I'm not a shareholder of Treasury, but I probably should be. This is a really, really strong result. They managed to deliver... So the three things you want to see, they managed to deliver volume growth. So more wine being drunk by more people. That's always a positive. The second is their average price went up almost 10%. So they managed to convince us not only to drink more wine, but to pay more for the wine we did drink. And then they kept the, their cost down so that more volume turned into more volume plus higher price meant more revenue. Higher revenue with limited cost increases meant even more profit growth, 17% profit growth off a 10% growth in price and about a 2-ish percent growth in volume, hard to see a consumer products company doing it better than Treasury Wines at the moment. I agree. Um, yeah, and that was in, and and the China growth was phenomenal there, right? So so maybe maybe Treasury Wine Estate should hold seminars for, uh, <laughs> and they can charge for it. So, oh, mate, and and, and because fortune. I because I came up with the idea, they should give me a commission. <laughs> um, uh, I I made that up on the spot. The Mahatma well. Consulting Company uh, yeah, in conjunction with Treasury Wine Estates. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, so yeah, so they have something going on in China that is really working. What the China growth was, was something like forty percent or something, something ridiculous, uh, some high number. I forgot what that. But it was really higher than the overall numbers that you quoted. Um, yeah, so I mean, you know, again, that's the thing, right? That's a prize. If you if you can execute in in a growing affluent middle class, then mm. you know the prize is yours, which is in this case uh, treasures uh, treasure and treasury shares did well on the day that there was so much volatility, which mm. is again, mm. um, yeah, yeah. Just so a, yeah, just yeah, a again. really I, I, just really good. Result. I, Penfolds, I, right, right, <laughs> and that's the power of brands again. Yeah. Maybe again, maybe different category. Wine is much more aspirational than say honey or vitamins, for example. So lots of different things going on there, but just. A really, in terms of a business that kind of promised quite a lot, quite frankly, mm-hmm. but has delivered on it. Yeah, hard to hard to you know hard to understate, overstate. Sorry, how how well Treasury's done to deliver on the objectives it set itself, and and you really get good growth where others seem to be struggling and falling a little bit by the wayside as a result. Absolutely, can't can't disagree. Motley Fool Money. Financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple m. I hate to tell you, mate, when people don't die, that's really bad for business. At least if you're in the funeral home business. <laughs> and this was Invocare's problem. Invocare is a name. Some, If you're an investor, you've probably heard of it. If you're not, you won't have heard of the name because Invocare owns a whole lot of brands of funeral homes. Simplicity Funerals, I think White Lady, a whole heap of them. I, I don't have lists off the top of my head. Um, Invocare 
is <laughs> business is death is business, right? Business is death. I I mean we shouldn't. I mean we can be a little bit flippant because you know we is the business dead? Death. Oh, I, I wish we should go there. Um, <laughs> I certainly I'm saying we should be flippant. Uh, look, you know, I mean any death is traumatic for the people involved, and we don't want to make light of individual deaths. Of course, um, the reality is though we're we're a finance podcast, and Newmarket is a financial business. Someone's got to be in the business of providing funeral homes. If you do it well and at a good price and good service, then you're doing a you're performing a service for the community. Invocare, through its brands, does a pretty good job, I think. Um, it's one of those things you wouldn't otherwise notice or see, except when you see these sort of numbers. The reality is when you have a warmer winter, fewer people just simply tend to die. And if you have a colder winter with more flu, a worse flu season, then people do die at a greater rate. Now, we know by definition that we're all going to die at some point. The death rate is 100% of the population, as it turns out. Um, but the timing of that can be really all over the place. And I'd never, ever thought about that kind of, I mean, I guess it's logical when you think about it, right? But the, the, di- the death rate, if you like, moves around all over the place, depending on what the weather's been like, depending on what the flu season's like. And Invocare right now, good news for those of us who have more relatives around as a result of a, a, a kind of flu season, bad news if you're in the business of funerals and cremations. Well, the only thing I'm going to say here is that when a company's press release basically says we are looking forward to more flu deaths, <laughs> it can, well, oh, I, I get, did I actually I, say that. Awesome, not quite. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, it, it's a well. I mean, you know, they, their business is a function of the flu, <laughs> yeah. uh, to some extent, right? Yep. So, which is, um, I mean, at least, yeah, we're all going to die eventually, right? Yeah, it's some, the, some, it's, some, some mean, untimely yeah. deaths because of flu seasons. Yeah. that kind of catches up by definition. Well, like you know, like you know, if if I'm 95 or right. 100 and I right. got the flu, right. I mean, I basically die because of the flu. But actually, I die because I'm old, right? Yeah, really, yeah. that's the reality. Um, so, yeah, same in the flu. There's a way of catching up on all of us. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so yeah. Uh, so, I guess the two companies that benefit from higher flus are Invocare and CSL. Mm, yes, that's <laughs> right. 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 And, and actually, CSL probably benefits uh, the next year because, you know, more flu, flu deaths this year cause people to actually <laughs> vaccinate next year, <laughs> which then causes, you know, some problems for Invocare because more people are vaccinated. So, um, is, it, is it the perfect uh, portfolio trade? Is it's, that, it's, like, it's, <laughs> it's like a balanced portfolio. <laughs> you know, why, one balances the other. Oh, uh, I, I'm, I'm kind of kidding. I, ma- I made that up as well on, on the I sport. Like it. I like it. Um, yeah. I don't have any. And this is look. This is a what I would, what I would say. It's a steady business, right? Yeah. I mean, it's a steady business because we know that everybody's going to die yep. at some point. There's a death rate that you know doesn't really change that much. Um, yeah, it's, it's volatile in the short term, very, very, very steady in the long term. Yeah, exactly. So if you pay the right price for this business and mm-hmm. hold it for long enough, you're likely. And it's been a great stock to hold for yep. like what twenty years or something. It's got great returns. Yeah. Um, so yeah, buy, buying it at the right price. I have no opinion of the price right now, so um, I don't know what the PE is. I'm gonna, I, I do have you. I'm going to share that with you because it's this is kind of reminds me of the CSL conversation. Yeah, there are some companies on the ASX. You and I spoke about this this morning. We just yeah. kind of were batting stuff around. There's a group of companies on the ASX that are, I would say, irrationally loved mm. by investors, and by irrationally, I mean they're paying and prepared to pay too much for these businesses because. Of past successes, it's kind of the halo effect of of past successes being really good. Invocare's current PE, believe it or not, is thirty seven. Thirty seven. Yeah. Now, Ooh. so we talk about CSL being <laughs> being forty. Um, again, I don't back believe to the death you. rate, right? You can't get. I mean, how do you how do you grow your business if you Invocare? Short of going around killing people off, and I'm I'm, I'm obviously kidding, but short of short of doing that, uh, I mean. Yeah, you buy some other you buy some other funeral homes. You try and get some market share because you try and provide a better service or a more appropriate service for people. You try and value add by giving them prepaid funeral plans or online streaming of funerals is a thing now. Believe it or not, 
Wow, which kind okay. of makes sense. We're all we're all a bit more you know living further away from each other, and I guess if you can dial into a loved one's funeral, I guess that's a thing. Um, you know, lots lots kind of more services being sold um, for funerals and for uh, for commemorations and that kind of stuff. So there are ways to kind of juice your growth a little bit, but it's kind of hard to <laughs> let me bluntly bloody hard to justify a P of thirty seven. When the death rate is un- out of your control, and there's only so much you can do to increase the price of funerals, surely. And then you can't really take costs out. It, it kind of is not exactly a fixed cost business, but you, you kind of need a couple of hearses. You need a, you need a crematorium. It, I, I don't really get how any maths like CSL gets us anywhere near 37 times earnings for InvoCare. Well, like you know, some time back, maybe a few years back, I looked at it, and one of the things that they were trying to do, and I have no idea how this has gone actually, is um, you know going to the US and get, going to California and so on. So, I mean, mm. one way you could use growth is basically by yep. using your highly priced shares to buy some <laughs> stuff for yeah, that's cheap. that's true, actually. And then basically, you basically bought yeah, some growth. Yeah. Now, I have no idea how the US expansion actually went. It didn't. Oh, okay. it didn't they go came anywhere. Home. Okay, so they came home. <laughs> Went very badly. <laughs> so so then it becomes harder, right? It's already like mm. what owns 40% or 50% of the market maybe in Australia, which becomes then harder for you to actually on a bigger base to grow, which is, yeah, I'm surprised, 37. Yeah. But what do I know? Well, a lot. I think the, the problem is I, I would, again, lots of people hold it. They probably hold it for years. It's one of those stocks that you love to hold and that's why the price is high. Mm. Just be really careful holding high-priced stocks. If there's, if there's good growth, great. Frankly, there's a whole lot of even higher. I mentioned the other day, six companies at least with P of more than 100 on the ASX right now. I have to say, as much as I, those numbers scare me, I think some of those are probably worth holding more than Invocare at 40 times earnings simply mm-hmm. because the growth potential or the growth, the actual growth, is just going to be much, much higher than Invocare is delivering. Mm. We'll see. Motley Fool Money. For more, go to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. I'm going to try an awkward segue. So, if you're at a funeral and you need music to play, you might want to go to JB Hi-Fi. Yeah, that's a good segue. Is that for a segue? Yeah, that's good. It's a good segue, mate. You, did, you, you actually did well. <laughs> Let me give you that. You're a very kind man. You're in a good mood this morning. I'm in a very good mood. Speaking of JB Hi-Fi, funnily enough, um, the <laughs> the results... So, this has been a funny... I, I'm an optimist about the economy, as you know. I'm taking a big run-up on this one. You're less optimistic than me, I think it's fair to say, at least under the short to medium term. Retail has been one of those things where, depending on your view, you can kind of get confirming evidence for everything. Uh, plenty of retailers in trouble, plenty mm. of retailers struggling to grow, really, you know, doing it tough. Other retailers like Katmandu and JB Hi-Fi are carrying on as if the economy was just in the best of health. Mm. Katmandu grew sales and profit at double-digit rates from memory. So oh, 10, profit 10, anyway. 10, 11 percent, right, something like right, that. Right, right. Yeah. JB Hi-Fi, another great result mm. on a really high base, astounding the market. You'd swear there was nothing wrong with the Australian economy if you were only ever shopping in JB Hi-Fi. Mm. It's, it's a, you know, I have a couple of things to say. So JB Hi-Fi's results every time it comes out, it's actually one of the most shorted stocks on, on the ASX. Yeah, because everyone's, everyone's Every, waiting for the, uh, it kind of the collapse. shoot drop, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But on the, on the other hand, it's only like at 14 times earnings or something like that, yeah. right? So that's that's one. Number two is every time the results come out, they actually surprise me. <laughs> so, uh, so, so I'm, I'm always surprised. Number three, I'll say that one of the things that I think you can say mm. by looking at some of the companies around us, so Kathmandu is one of them, mm-hmm. uh, JB is another one of them, even Nick Scully is another one, uh, Kogan is another one, mm-hmm. right? If you look at these, you would think that Yes, there is a retail problem, but maybe the problem is the type of retail, the format of the retail and your ability to change with changing times. If you are a company which is willing to make changes, 
online is not that hard today. Right? But JB Hi-Fi is supposed to be the business that gets killed by online. I mean, we look at the US and but, see Amazon's growth and Best Buy or Circuit City went broke, Best Buy was in trouble. And everyone says, right, JB Hi-Fi, Harvey Norman, they're the businesses in the gun. They're the ones that are going to struggle. These are the first ones to die. Yeah, but they, JB's but, been the opposite. But JB's, but JB is growing online. And you, you yep. just said Walmart. Walmart reported overnight or something and the shares were up because their online is just going good, right? I mean, the question really now is in, in this age, if you don't do online, you're dead. Mm. But if you want to do online, it's easy. It's not hard. And you can do it. So it's, I think it's a Isn't bit that of like a- all retail, though. Retail is really, really easy to do. It's really simple. It's just hard to do really, really yeah, so, well. Yeah, so, so, so it's the question of execution, right? So they've got the right executor nice. uh, in, in the business. And then I'll, I'll one final point with, with mm-hmm. all those rosy things, right? So the top line actually grew by what few percent, like what, six, five, six percent, something like top line did not grow that much. Mm-hmm. Um, there is, this business has a high fixed cost base. Yep. So the thing to remember here is that all it requires is a little bit of movement to the south. Yeah. <laughs> and then you're going to see yep. a lot of red. Right, so the shorts will probably get be right at some point if they can hold on <laughs> for that long. Because well, if you eventually, don't get taken to the in the meantime, yeah, right? in, eventually you're going to be right because there's going to be some time when it's not going to be able to execute. It's going to make a misstep. Sometimes it's going to go backwards, and then that big cost base is going to hurt it. Right. So in the meantime, That's a long time to wait. Which exactly? I mean, yeah, I, I, full. I give full credit. You know, hats off to mm. JB Hi-Fi, and you know, I have a JB Hi-Fi near my home. It's always busy. It's like teaming yep. with people. So. Uh, yeah, they're doing something right. Um, yeah, good. And I'll, I, I want to give them huge props too. I, I ordered online a couple of times from JB Hi-Fi. It is, the product is always there the next day. I've never had a problem with the delivery. It's always been exactly what I ordered. I mean, again, as you say, these things aren't, they shouldn't be revolutionary, right? So no. you, you gave me what I asked for quickly. Wow, that's, you know, kind of isn't that business as usual? It really is, but doing it well is just really, really hard. So yeah. I, retail is the easiest business in the world. You buy some merchandise, you put it in a shop, or you put it online, you sell it, you buy it for three, you sell it for four. These things are really, really, really simple, but doing it well is really complex, and the barriers to entry are so low, every other bastard is trying to take your business away from you. And so that's, to to me, that's the story of retail. That's why execution, as you rightly mentioned, Doc, is so, so important. Um, you just got to get this stuff right, and if you, if you can get it right, you're doing really well. Um, if you can't get it right, as you kind of rightly point out, mate, the market is going, well, the, the, not the, the stock market, the physical economy the, the sector in which you operate is going to hand you your backside really, really quickly. It's not a long way between success and abject failure. I, I find retail fascinating to look at, and it's probably a topic that's more fascinating to me than most of our listeners, so I won't go into it in any detail, but the idea of unit economics, the idea of a, on a per-store basis, as you mentioned, the high fixed costs, um, you've got a fixed store which is really expensive to run. If you can get a little bit of growth there, that growth falls to the bottom line pretty quickly because you've got one lot of rent to pay, you've got one lot of shelving, you've got one lot of inventory, you've got one lot of staff. Now, maybe if your sales grow a little bit, you put an extra couple of hours on for a staff member or maybe you you know, you know, redo the shop every couple of years. So there's, there's some costs there, but largely the costs are if not absolutely fixed. They're at least set on a per-store basis. If you can get more people going through that store, you can make a lot of money really quickly. On the flip side, because of competition, margins are so low, if you get even a little bit of decline in sales, and we've seen this in so many retailers, Woolworths was the example not all that long ago when the shares were down at 20 bucks when a couple of you know tough numbers on on a, on a you know on a on a volume was down one one and a half percent. I mean, really small, absolutely decimated the company's profit. Just just you know tore a hole in, in the P and L. Um, so it's one of those things you got to be really really careful of. I'm I'm actually a fan of investing in quality retail. I think Premier Investments, for what it's worth, it's one of the best retailers in the country. Um, Smeagol, Peter Alexander, JJ's, Just Jones. Um, but done badly, it can just absolutely destroy your portfolio. Get more Motley Fool money advice at fool.com.au forward slash triple M.
We've got some mailbag, Doc. I love it. Me too. Bring it on. The best one. The best one. Not because it's the best question. Not because I like the, co- the correspondent, but because he gives us the best uh, compliments. <laughs> that's that's essential. We don't. Well, no, it's not. We don't. We never ever ask for compliments. We're just letting you know that if you don't give us any, you may not get your question answered. That's just a matter of fact. I'm not. There's no request there. Yep. That's fine. Do whatever you want. Yep. Uh, Rodney says, "Good day, Scott and Doc. The Triple M Motley Full Money Podcast is without question the best thing to enter my ear holes every week." I'd like to think that was offered without coercion. Mm, no coercion. No coercion. <laughs> Very kind of you, Rodney. Thank you for saying. My question is in regards to Washington H. Sol Pattinson. S-O-L is the code. I've had a look into the company. As you mentioned that its share price had recently come off its highs from approximately $32 down to 22 bucks. Based on a review of the earnings per share forecast from Comsec, no growth is expected out to 2020. With a dividend yield of about 2 to 3% and no EPS growth expected in the near future, can you give me a reason to buy this stock today? If not, shouldn't you sell it? Full on. Great. Love the Rodney, that is just a great question in, in so many different ways, and I really appreciate that. I own Solpats for full disclosure. The Motley Fool also owns a few shares through one of the portfolios that we manage. Um, Doc, do you want to have a go at the, the Solpats story, or do you want me to pick it up? I, I, I'm sorry I don't follow the company that closely. I'll just say this. like I mean, you're, When you're buying Solpats, you're basically buying, it's like buying a conglomerate. You're buying it for the various businesses that they own and the way they manage. You're buying it actually for the long term. It's one of the longest listed or probably the longest second listed. Second longest. Second longest listed company on the ASX. Yep. It has consistently over the long term grown its earnings, its total returns are, are market beating over the long term. So you, again, if you believe in the the team that's managing the funds or the mm-hmm. money, mm-hmm. then this is a stock that you basically hold for the long term. So that, that's my view on this. See, I don't think you can you can buy this based on what the projected earnings are for next mm. um, year. Um, yeah, you're buying it a bit for the capital allocation skills, and you're assuming that they're going to be because also the, a lot of the, a lot of the Milner family actually owns the stock, and that's Correct. basically they they get paid via the dividends. So you think they do the right thing by that? So that's that's my view. Concentrates the mind of management when you're the rest of your family. Exactly. <laughs> a great, great jump of the shares, and that's exactly. your, your biggest asset. I, I'm going to just touch on a couple things that Rodney asked. I love this question for so many different reasons, Rodney. It's a great question. So, first thing is the share price falling from 30 to 22. Just to be clear, that was not the reason either way for it to be a buy or otherwise. I thought it was cheap at 22. By the way, it's under 20 dollars as we record this. That's so fallen another 10 percent from there. It wasn't the fact that it had fallen per se. I'm not as someone who looks at charts and says, the price has fallen time to buy or the price has risen time to buy. It's completely irrelevant. The fact it was at 32, now at 22, it's just a matter of historical fact. It doesn't influence our investment decisions at all as a team. So that's the first thing. You then say, based on a review of the EPS forecast from Comsec. Now, I'm going to touch on that too, because that's really useful. I, I Some of those EPS numbers, the, the consensus numbers, so-called, they, they ask a whole lot of analysts, they put them in there. Big adding machines and come up with an average. It's more like big adding machines. We're a little Excel spreadsheet. Come up with an average earnings estimate, and they publish that on the Comsec website. That's great. Comsec do it. Morningstar do it. Plenty of other people do it. Reuters has a version. I think Capital IQ has a version. I'm sure they all do. Here's the thing about investing, though, right? If you're going to rely on the consensus view, you're going to get the consensus result. If everybody was right about Amazon's future back in 1993, guess what? The shares would have already been worth $1,000 then. If I'd said, well, no one expects Amazon to do any good. I'm not going to buy those shares. Uh, or conversely, I think you know every, everyone's dead right about oh, what's, a, what's a company that's crashed recently? Get Swift. Um, the consensus for huge growth. I, you know, well, I should buy those shares. So the first thing is when you're looking at consensus EPS, it can be interesting and it's worth having a look at. Now the market is right more than it's wrong, by the way. So you shouldn't d- dismiss those numbers. Generally speaking, they're roughly right. But by the same token, if you only ever did that, 
you would only ever get consensus results, which is market averages, which is fine. If you end that, they buy an, e- buy, buy an ETF and be done with it. So you're looking for an area where the market is wrong about a stock. That's the only way you can beat the market is to find a stock the market is wrong about. Either they are expecting bad things and you expect good things, or simply you expect greater things than the market expects. It's already positive, but you think it's even better than that. That's where the outperformance comes from. So just be, just be mindful of that. Dividend yield, you mentioned 2 to 3%, bang on. I think that's pretty reasonable. They pay dividends out of regular earnings. They reinvest a whole lot of cash to other things with it. So yes, you're not buying it just for income, uh, though it's a decent income to, to be paid to wait. So all of those things put into the mix. I'm going to reinforce something Doc said. The company is a conglomerate of its assets. The value of those assets is really what's important here and what you expect the value of those assets to be. Again, if you look at just the net asset value of the company, I won't get too detailed here, but if you add up all the shareholdings and the cash and the property they own, you get to a certain number. Now, you've got to believe the market's right about those other shares they own, by the way. They own TPG and New Hope Coal and a whole lot of other stuff. If you're accepting the net asset value as reported, you're effectively saying, yep, the market's right at all those things. And if that's true, that's fine. But you kind of, if you believe the market's wrong about Solpats, but right about those other assets, there's kind of a bit of cognitive dissonance there. You have to believe that somehow it's getting some of it right and some of it wrong, and arbitrarily that's also true. So it really helps to have a view of the underlying businesses, not just Solpats as a, as a single entity. And then again, the EPS number for them is a little bit skewed because it is a conglomerate. Some of those earnings fall straight to the bottom line as reported earnings. Some come through as dividends that go into the cash flow. There's a whole lot of stuff going on there. So without without wanting to put a, a too fine a point on it, at, at 13 odd times earnings, I think that's very attractive relative to anything else on or not anything else. A lot of other things on the market. It's not for the high growth investor. It's not for the high risk investor. Doc, I don't imagine we'll see it on your service extreme opportunities anytime soon. No. But uh, I'm, I'm very happy holding it. I'm happy you're recommending it. Um, uh, the Milner family, I have a huge amount of respect for Robert Milner in particular, who runs that business uh, with Todd Barlow as CEO. Um, uh, again, disclosure, I own the shares. So I, I, I can be considered biased, take everything I say with a grain of salt. Uh, but I think, you know, as a business, it's a, it's a company that investors will do well to own over the, over the very long term because you've got good quality people putting their own money on the line um, under 20 bucks gee it's pretty attractive value I reckon as far as as far as I'm concerned Modly for money let's move to another question that we received I think it was during the week Russ sent us a message on Twitter by the way if you want to hit us up you can hit us up at the Motley fool au at the Motley Fool AU on Twitter. You can hit Doc up at, at Anirban Mahanti or me at TMF Scott P. You can hit us up info at fool.com.au or on Facebook at The Motley Fool AU or pretty simple, pretty straightforward. Do a quick search. You can find us very, very easily. Russ says, Hi, Scott and Doc. I am interested in investing 500 bucks a month using dollar cost averaging, but I don't want to pay 4% of every transaction in brokerage costs. Is there a platform I can invest small amounts with no brokerage in shares and ETFs, or should I wait to save more and invest with larger amounts? Thanks, Russ. Great time to ask about it, particularly dollar cost averaging, given we're in the middle of earnings season. Share prices will move around a little bit all over the place. Doc, what do you say, mate? 500 bucks a month? Well, you use dollar cost averaging. How should you go about it? You were telling me about this um, this app from Comsec mm-hmm. that allows you to invest. I forgot the name of that. We talked about it last week. Comsec Pocket is its name. Comsec Pocket. Yeah, that, that sounded like a good option mm-hmm. if you want to put small amounts of money to work. Two bucks a trade, I think. That's yeah. So I mean, it's still a reasonably high percentage yep. of the um, of the money you're investing. But I mean, it's not like fifteen bucks or ten bucks that you're paying. But it allows you to invest in a bunch of ETFs, which and you can you know dollar cost average into ETF. 
you're going to get the returns of those ETFs and, you know, you can beat the market depend, depending upon how you will define what your market is. Mm. Um, that's an, one option. If you want to in, invest in individual stocks like we, you know, do here uh, at, at The Fool, then, then the best thing to do is to basically save up because you don't want to pay a significant amount in, in mm -hmm. brokerage, right? I mean, basically brokerage is going to eat into your returns. Yep. That's what I would do. Uh, so those are the two options that I can think of at the top of my head. I completely agree with with with, with one addition and and one slight difference of of view at least uh, perspective. Um, first thing I'd say is that I agree. Um, some of the Comsec pocket sounds reasonable for ETFs. The other thing is someone like a Comsec, and I have no commercial affiliation other than being an account holder. You can trade shares for ten bucks if you're buying less than a thousand dollars worth of shares at a go. So if I was Russ, I'd be kind of inclined to wait do every two months. Put your 500 bucks together. Don't trade 1,001 because I'll charge you 20 bucks. Make sure it's 999 bucks or less. Um, so put your 200, two lots of 500 bucks together once every two months. Go and buy something for just under 1,000 bucks. Pay 10 bucks a trade. That's about 1%, which is a very reasonable fee to pay for brokerage. So I think that's what I would probably do myself. Um, the other alternative, I mean, your point about brokerage, Doc, you're absolutely right. We should minimize our brokerage. That being said, if you put your 500 bucks away and it doubles and doubles and doubles again, uh, you know, if you can turn five hundred bucks into four grand, and you paid twenty grand for that privilege, uh, twenty bucks, sorry, not twenty grand, twenty bucks for that privilege, um, that's not too onerous. We want to minimise brokerage in general, but I'd hate people to put off buying too long because of brokerage costs. So, uh, Ross, I reckon put put two months worth together, buy you know six times a year is probably what I do, uh, but just don't be too put off by the brokerage costs. Minimise where you can, but don't let the tail wag the dog. Don't miss out on some decent gains uh, because you're trying to be uh, admirably. Um, cost of aware, cost efficient. Uh, just don't let it uh, don't let it wreck your ability to compound over the medium long term. Motley full money. I reckon that's going to do us. We've got, here's a here's a uh, a teaser for next week. We got a great question from David during the week. Mm -hmm. I'm going to read the question, but I'm not going to give an answer because I want to just tease us a little bit. Sounds like a great idea. David, let's says, do it. Uh, David's uh, there's a bigger question here. Uh, I'll read the question actually just for fun. So David, uh, I, I will answer this question. We will answer this question next week. But uh, just for the other listeners, hi guys, love the podcast. Hey hey, my friends and I have a motley fool catch up once a month to discuss your ideas, but mainly to have a few beers. We we can associate with it. Um, we've been talking lately about good long term macro trends, cashless payments, Asian tech, precision farming, water, genome sequencing, etc. Are there any long-term trends that you see that appeal to you? We feel if the long-term investor, it may be easier to identify and back winning trends rather than winning stocks. Thanks again for the podcast and keep up the great work. Hashtag full on. I love the hashtag. This is brilliant. Isn't that a cool question? It's a brilliant question. We've got nowhere near enough time to finish it this week. We may not even get the whole question until next week, depending on how many earnings we have. But David, great question. For those of you who like the idea of that question, some long-term macro trends that we want to keep an eye on. Love it, David. And we will answer that for you probably next week, maybe over a couple of weeks. We'll see how we go. Just a little taster, though, if you're listening to uh, Wet the Appetite. Make sure you tune back in. Of course, you'll tune in next week. But for those who were considering, you know, listening to a couple of Britney Spears songs or downloading another bloody episode of Serial, um, just, just hold fire. Come back to Motley Fool Money because we think you'll be glad you did. That's it, mate. That wraps up for this week's Motley Fool Money. But before we go, I wonder how many of us can actually recite this. If I just left a bit of a gap, I said, before we go, and left it, and how many people would just keep talking and do the rest of it for me? Probably two. Well, even One. I couldn't do it. <laughs> That's because you don't pay any attention to me. Uh, some of this is actually listen to what I say, Doc. <laughs> don't forget you can subscribe to the Triple M Motley Fool Money podcast through iTunes or your favorite Android podcast app. And if you like what we're doing, please give us a rating, give us a review, tell your friends, give us a little bit of love, because you know. We are awesome. 
We're sensitive flowers. We can do with a bit of you know reassurance. <laughs> no man is an island. All that kind of good stuff. And don't forget, you can get a dose of foolishness straight to your inbox. Just simply go to www.fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Triple M. That's it for this week's Motley Fool Money. We'll be back next week with another dose of Foolish Insight. Fool on. Fool on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.